Second Samuel chapter 16 at verse 5. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out thence a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came out and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Be gone, be gone, thou man of blood and base fellow. Jehovah hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And Jehovah hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thine own mischief, because thou art a man of blood. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? Because he curseth, and because Jehovah hath said unto him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, who came forth from my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more may this Benjamite now do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for Jehovah hath bidden him. It may be that Jehovah will look on the wrong done unto me, and that Jehovah will requite me good for his cursing of me this day. So David and his men went by the way, and Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went, and threw stones at him and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary, and he refreshed himself there. Well, this is incredibly interesting, this portion of God's word that we've just read. Most of you know that we've been going through for some time the life of David. Last week we saw his encounter. We read and, and looked at his encounter with Ziba. How that Ziba came to him under the pretext of doing what Mephibosheth, his master, should have done and spoke uh, poorly, falsely, of Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. We saw David's response to that last week, and we saw him, I believe, typing out man last week. He gave to us a, a type of common man, of sinful man, of natural man, even of the redeemed sinner still having sin within, but not typing out Jesus Christ as he so often does, and as I believe that he does in several instances in this passage before us this morning, typing out Christ several occasions. So last week we saw him typing out man, and now I believe we'll see him typing out Christ. We see this somewhat erratic behavior on the part of David in these things. Who among us can even imagine that our lives and our behavior has not been and is not 
that erratic many times, ups and downs, down and outs, and so on. It's good for us, I believe, to see that this man after God's own heart was indeed a man with many faults, many faults besides that heightened fault of his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, primarily his great sin against God. The only thing that's more astounding than that sin, many have said, is that psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, that we just had the privilege of singing. But Shimei comes forward. He's a man of Benjamin, of the house of Saul, who of course was a Benjamite. So he has uh, political grounds, we might say, to be cursing David. He probably has been unhappily submitting to David's authority a number of years and resenting David being on the throne and not his Benjamite king Saul. So here he comes with his chance to get even, his chance to tell David what he really thinks of him, and so he does very eminently. But what was Shimei charging David with? Shimei was charging David with the blood of Saul. He calls him a man of blood. He claims that he stole the throne through murder implicitly. Stole the, the throne of Saul. That's his charge, at least that's one of the charges when he calls him a man of blood. What exactly was the truth of this, however? What was the truth? Was Shimei right? Was David guilty of the blood of Saul? Did he steal the throne? We remember that in 1 Samuel there were a couple of occasions, a couple of instances where David had opportunity, in fact, to slay Saul, if that was what was on his heart and mind. 24. Chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, and at verse 6, he said unto his men, after he was demonstrated an opportunity in that cave that Saul had come into to relieve himself, he had an opportunity to slay Saul on that occasion, but he said, Jehovah forbid that I should do this thing unto my Lord, Jehovah's anointed, to put forth my hand against him, seeing he is Jehovah's anointed. So David checked his men with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. He suffered his men not to rise against Saul. He wouldn't rise against Saul himself. He wouldn't rise against Jehovah's anointed. That was the characteristic of David. That was the grounds that he wouldn't do such a thing. And again, in chapter 26, he had another opportunity, and he had Abishai with him this time when they stole over into the camp of Saul and his lieutenant, his chief lieutenant, captain of his men, I imagine, Abner. They were all, they'd all been been put under a deep sleep by God himself. And Abishai says to David, here's his interpretation of God's providence, you see. 
God hath delivered up thine enemy into thy hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee. Saul had a spear stuck hindermost into the ground with his throne perhaps hanging on it. I'm, I'm teasing about that, but he had it. That's how they kept their spears at the ready. But the Lord had brought a deep sleep upon them. Abishai says, let me, I pray thee, smite him with the spear to the earth at one stroke. And I will not smite him the second time. In other words, I won't need to. I'll pierce him through the heart. I'll kill him. Let me take his life. And David said, destroy him not, for who can put forth his hand against Jehovah's anointed and be guiltless? As Jehovah liveth, Jehovah will smite him, or his day will come to die, and so on. But David wouldn't do it. And David knew that he wouldn't do it. And indeed, Abishai knew that he wouldn't do it. He was involved in that. And yet here is Shimei, this Benjamite, charging David with the blood of Saul. We see that on these two occasions that David had Saul's life in his hands, and he would not take it. And yet he's being charged here with this vile crime that he was not guilty of. Who indeed has the blood of Saul or had the blood of Saul upon his hands? Who did slay Jehovah's anointed? You remember the beginning of this second book of Samuel. After Saul and Jonathan had been slain by the Philistines at Gilboa. How the this Ammonite came to David and he had some of Saul's belongings and he went to David telling him that he himself was the one that took Saul's life. He claimed that Saul asked him to take his life but nonetheless he was the one that took Saul's life and what was David's response to this Ammonite? He had him slain because he lifted up his hand against God's anointed. He said to him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain Jehovah's anointed. David lamented the death of Saul. He lamented the death of Saul in poem. He lamented the death of Saul and Jonathan. And here he is being charged by Shimei with having the blood of Saul upon his hands. But perhaps Shimei was also referring to that lieutenant, that captain of the host of Saul, Abner. Perhaps he was referring to him, or even Saul's son that took the throne after the death of Saul, Ishbosheth. Perhaps he was referring to those. Was David complicit in either of these? You remember how that Abner came to David to try to mend things between the house of Saul and the house of David are between the Israelites and those of Judah, the Benjamites particularly, and the house of Judah. He came to him. And Joab, one of the sons of Zeruiah, heard about this. Perhaps they were making a treaty. Perhaps he would make, David would make Abner his captain and displace Joab. So what did Joab do? He ran to meet Abner and had him called back, and he, in the gate, we're told, that he took Abner by the beard to kiss him faintedly and slew him. 
slew him there with his blade. And there lay Abner dead at the hand of Joab. David didn't do it. And David went to great lengths, speaking of, of this one that had fallen. A prince and a great man has fallen this day, he spoke of Abner. But he declared to the people that his hand was not in it. Perhaps Shimei didn't hear that disclaimer. Perhaps he heard it and didn't believe it. But here he is casting stones at David, perhaps charging him with the murder of Abner. Or how about Ishbosheth, who was involved in his murder? A couple of his own people stole in while Ishbosheth was in bed. And in his own bed, they slew him and cut off his head and took the head to David, thinking to be rewarded somehow for that. And David's response was the same as it was for the one who thought he was serving David by helping Saul commit suicide, by murdering him, in fact. That was his response. He had those taken out and slain that had killed Ishbosheth. That was David's response. He washed his hands very honestly from the blood of any of these men. He washed his hands. He was not complicit in any of these. And yet here we see this Benjamite throwing stones at David and his men, throwing dust at him, cursing him, and charging him with being a man of blood. Perhaps we have had ourselves involved in a similar circumstance. Perhaps we have been charged with something that we perfectly well knew we were not guilty of. And yet we know that we're guilty of much. And perhaps the Lord used that, as I believe he used it in the life of David, in the humbling of David, in the chastening of David to humble him. I believe he was using this to remind David that he indeed was a great sinner. It didn't matter in one sense that Shimei was totally wrong in his charges. This son of Zeruiah, Abishai, the brother of Joab, was quick on the draw with his sword. It was he that wanted to take off the head of Saul, as we read, wanted to plunge that spear into him on one occasion and slay him with a sword on the other occasion. He is really quick on the draw. Let me smite him, he had said, I pray thee, King David, with the spear. These sons of Zeruiah, as David refers to them, often, Joab and Abishai, he says, these sons of Zeruiah are too much for me. They're too strong for me. They're too wild for me. I can't control them. We've known of leaders of countries who couldn't control those under them. This is what we have here. And indeed, Joab and Abishai were the sons of Zeruiah, who was David's sister. They were nephews, David's nephews. But they were too hard for him. They were too much for him. More than once he said that. These hard-to-control nephews. David had a rough time with them. David could have said of these sons of Zeruiah, or to these sons of Zeruiah, 
he could have said to these, as Christ said to those sons of Boanerges, that name he gave to James and John, which means sons of thunder. He could have, David could have even been calling them sons of Zeruiah, sons of thunder if he wished. That's what they were like. In Luke, in the ninth chapter, we, we read of, of uh, James and John. Remember when that city wouldn't even allow Christ as he was traveling on his way to Jerusalem, that Samaritan city wouldn't even allow him to stop and rest there or to eat or stay overnight. They wouldn't let him stay in that city. And James and John said, Master, would thou that we call down fire from heaven upon these? These were the sons of thunder. It's always interesting to me the pictures that people have drawn of John and this beloved disciple and how uh, meek and mild and beardless he's most often depicted and yet here he is wanting to call down fire from heaven they need to read their entire Bibles and learn what John really was and what he was like he was a man like David but Christ said to them in response ye know not what manner of spirit you're of. And David could have taken those words, of course it would have been an anachronism, but he could have taken those words of Christ and applied them to these sons of Zeruiah, to Abishai in this case. Ye know not what manner of spirit you're of. How often those words probably echo in the minds and hearts of many of us when we have done things that were not according to the law of God, it's things that were sinful, things that were at least, at the very least, unkind and thoughtless. And how often these words have come back at us. You know not what spirit you're of. There was a clash, perhaps, in, in this request of Abishai. Let me take off his head. Perhaps a clash of the law and the spirit here. Because the law actually says in Exodus 22, 28, Thou shalt not revile God, nor curse a ruler of thy people. Thou shalt not curse a ruler of thy people. That was the law of God. And here Shimei is cursing a ruler, the ruler of his people, David. So in fairness to Abishai, we might suggest, cut him a little slack here, and say that he was zealous for the law. But again, David effectively said in not so many words, you know not what manner of spirit ye are of. David is saying actually to Abishai, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I could sacrifice the life of Shimei for his cursing the king but I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Can David be said here to be imitating Christ? How can that be? Would that not be an anachronism? Something out of its proper time. How could David be imitating Christ and yet is he not? Can we not say that he is typing out Christ here once again? I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Is he not here likely bringing forth fruits worthy of repentance? 
That's what chastening is all about from God's hand to his children to bring them to repentance. Again, we sang that 51st Psalm. How beautiful is that Psalm? Is not, is not, has not David prayed in that Psalm that he sang, that he composed? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Has God not answered that prayer? Has he not cleansed his heart through grace? And has he not renewed a right spirit within him? And is that right spirit not saying, I will have mercy and not sacrifice upon Shimei? Had he perhaps recognized his sinful error in receiving the unverified accusation of Ziba against Mephibosheth? That wasn't too long prior to this. Perhaps he had just enough time as he continued walking. Perhaps he had just enough time to reflect and say, David, that wasn't right. That wasn't right what you just did. And then Shimei comes out and he has a chance. Some God do that for us. Give us chances to recall ourselves as it were. Is it not he himself was recalling us to the right path? And is David not here bringing forth fruits worthy of that repentance of which he wrote in Psalm 51? David says, let him curse. Let Shimei curse. But what else does he say? What else does he add to that? He says, gives some kind of a, an explanation of how he's feeling. Let him curse. He says, my son who came forth from my bowels seeketh my life. How much more may this Benjamite now do it? Let him alone and let him curse for Jehovah hath bidden him. David's magnanimity in this is a result of the humbling, the chastening work of God on his heart for his sin. He recognizes when he says, my son who came forth from my bowels seeketh my life. He recognizes and has been recognizing for a while already that that is the chastening hand of God. God even promised that the sword will not depart from his house. Nathan uttered those words of God to him and David knows that it's the chastening hand of God that is bringing his own son, yea, his favorite son, to chase him down and slay him if he can. And what's the big deal with this guy cursing me, misnaming me a man of blood for Saul, perhaps Abner and Ishbosheth? That's, that's nothing compared to what God has sent Absalom to do. That's nothing compared to the other aspects of God's chastening hand upon me right now. Let him alone. Let Shimei alone. Let him curse for Jehovah hath bidden him. Jehovah hath bidden him. David very, knew very well that Shimei was badly mistaken as we demonstrated. David did not have the blood of Saul upon his hands. He did not have the blood of Abner upon his hands. He did not have the blood of Ishbosheth upon his hands. He was absolutely innocent of the charges raised against him by this blithering Benjamite. But 
but he knew equally and perfectly well, nonetheless, that Shimei's charge was at the direction of God. And David knew that he was indeed a bloody man. He had manipulated the death of Uriah the Hittite to try to cover up his sin with his faithful lieutenant's wife Bathsheba. And how bloody was that battle at the wall of Rabbah? The Ammonites, the archers on the wall, how bloody was that scene? With Uriah laying there, having fallen under a barrage of Ammonite arrows. How many of Uriah's comrades fell with him under that barrage of arrows just to satisfy David's requirement to try to cover his sin? He indeed was a bloody man, and he knew it full well. A man of blood indeed am I, he could have been saying. And he probably was comparing those arrows, perhaps anyway, comparing those arrows with those insignificant stones that Shimei was casting at him. David made a stark comparison between the sins that he had committed against God, his God, and against God only, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He made a stark comparison between the sin against God as well as the sin against Bathsheba, as well as the sin against Uriah. And he knew that Shimei's sin was but a drop in a bucket by comparison with his own sinfulness. God was using Shimei to press upon David's heart the wickedness that he had done. And it was working. When God chastens one of his children, it will work. And it also reminded him that the rebellion of his own son against him was this chest as much mountain peak, perhaps. That was the high crown of all this. And it broke his heart for his sin. It brought this upon, not only upon himself, but brought his son to be a rebel against God, seeking to kill God's anointed king. David, like the greater son of David, had spoken to Peter, said in effect, after Peter had taken out his sword in the garden and struck Malchus, the high priest's servant, and struck off his ear. Jesus, the greater son of David, said to Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father hath given me. Shall I not drink it? Is that not how we ought to receive chastening from God when he is chastening us for sin? The cup which the Father hath given me, shall I not receive it? How can we sit and complain or stand and complain against God for lovingly chastening us as children? If he weren't chasing us, the scriptures tell us we would be nothing but bastards and not sons. The cup which the Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? But the cup 
The cup which Christ drank was filled with the dregs of our sins, of our sins, yours and mine, all those for whom he died, for he was totally without sin. On the other hand, the cup which David was drinking was filled with the dregs that is the results of his own sin. Shall he not drink it? I'm not suggesting the comparison to mean that the punishment that Christ endured to remove our sins, that David was taking away punishment for Christ has satisfied the justice of God for all his people. I'm talking about the chastening in that cup, the chastening, the results of his own sin. Shall he not drink it? When he looked into that cup, Perhaps in his mind he saw Uriah laying in his blood. Perhaps saw the sadness of Bathsheba and what he had brought her through. And especially perhaps he understood more than ever how he had displeased his God in heaven through his sin when he looked into that cup. Shall he not drink it? God had determined that it would be especially bitter. David had bitterly sinned. And God determined that it would be especially bitter coming from his favorite son. We already mentioned a few weeks ago how David has spoken clearly of being a favorite son of God. A favorite child of God. And yet he shook his fist in God's face when he sinned with Bathsheba and then when he murdered Uriah. He shook his fist in God's face, his father's face. God determined that the chastening hand would be especially bitter as it came from his own beloved son Absalom, his favorite son Absalom, his firstborn after Amnon, Can we imagine the pathos in David's heart and mind because of this, his own son? His own son wants to kill him. Children aren't always what we would like them to be. They aren't always what we had hoped that they would be. And sometimes they had, have raised their hands against us, not physically perhaps, perhaps only verbally or by behavior of another sort. And it is pathetic. It does raise pathos in the heart, especially when we know that it very well may be the chastening hand of God for our sin. It doesn't excuse Absalom here. It doesn't excuse any other child to rebel against his parents. It is sinful when they do that. And yet the Davids and many others of ourselves know the pathos involved in at least being forced to wonder, is this because of my sin that my son raises his hand against me? I can't resist reading a very brief portion, I timed it, it only takes 30 seconds, of a poem 
that a person wrote, I just thought it was so appropriate to this pathos that I believe David must have been experiencing because his own son desired his life. This poet wrote, so the struck eagle stretched upon the plain. <coughs> no more. Through rolling clouds to soar again. Viewed his own feather on the fatal dart that winged the shaft that quivered in his heart. Keen were his pangs, but keener far to feel. He nursed the pinion which impelled the steel. While the same plumage that had warmed his nest drank the last life drop of his bleeding breast. You see what this poet is saying? It's his own feather that guided that fatal dart. His own feather, his own sin that guided that fatal dart. In this case, the fatal dart may have been Absalom, Absalom's desire, but it was his own sin was the feather that guided that dart. It was the pinion of his sin that impelled the steel into his heart. And so again, behaving like Christ our Lord when he was reviled by Shimei, he reviled not again. Abishai, put your sword in its sheath. Peter, sheath thy sword. Shall I not drink this cup? Matthew Henry has well said that the world smiles are more dangerous than its frowns. Reflecting back on Zeba's smiles and Shimei's frowns. The world's smiles are more dangerous. We saw David's response to Zeba's lie. We see his response to Shimei's frowns. The world's smiles are more dangerous. Shimei and Zeba contrasted. And contrast we do the responses of David. Christ spoke these words, similar words. Matthew Henry may have been imagining or thinking of these words of Christ when he wrote those words about the world's smiles and their frowns. Christ simply said, woe unto you, woe unto you, when all men shall speak well of you. Woe unto you, when they speak well of you, be careful. Be thoughtful, be prayerful, consider these things. We are uncertain of the spirit that was in David that uttered the sentence against Mephibosheth. We suggested a few reasons. Last week, we're not certain of the spirit in David that uttered those words, but we are quite confident that the spirit which caused David to tell Abishai, let him curse was that spirit of repentance. David recognizes once again the hand of God in this chastening as he surely has from, the, from when his illegitimate child of Bathsheba and himself was taken away through death. Surely he has known that these were all the, from the chastening hand of God. 
though Shimei's mistaken, David knows full well that there is truth in the accusation. He was magnanimous to Saul, but he was not magnanimous. David was not magnanimous to Bathsheba nor to Uriah. He knows indeed that he is a man of blood. We are all men of blood, are we not? Our Savior bled for our sins, did he not? We are all men of blood. Should we not be humbled by that? Should we not be easily brought to repentance for every sin that finds us out? Are we to be sons of Zeruiah? Or sons of Boanerges? Sons of thunder? Or sons of God? Should we revile so quickly those that have reviled us? Let us bring forth fruits of repentance. And if it's at all reasonable to not revile back, it's always reasonable not to revile back. We might answer for ourselves, but we don't have to revile. Let the world curse. David said to Abishai, let him curse. Let the world curse. It hates Christ. It will hate his people. Rather rejoice that ye are his people called to suffer for his sake. Let the world curse. Shall we not gladly drink the cup? Shall we not long to be baptized, to be being baptized, sanctified, baptized with his baptism? Let us rejoice. David was being conformed unto the image of Christ. Are we? Let us pray. <clears throat> oh, Lord of God, we thank thee for thy precious grace, merited for us by the blood of thy Son, who became a man of blood for us, O oh Lord our God, help us to embrace his teachings, his walk, his life. In all that we are able to do, may we receive grace upon grace to do so. We ask through Jesus Christ, amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction from Romans 8. 33, 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ Jesus that died, yea, rather, that was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Amen.